Lord, we are so grateful for the message of that song which comes from the message of your word in Romans chapter 8. We're more than conquerors. We are victors. We praise you. We thank you for that status, that position. Lord, I would also imagine that while we praise you for that, there's more than one of us in here today that doesn't really feel like a conqueror. Doesn't really feel like an overcomer. There's a lot of different reasons that we don't feel like what Scripture says is true of us. Lord, I pray that we would bring that issue, that situation that, that makes us feel much less than an overcomer. We, Lord, we would have the faith to bring that and leave it at your feet this morning and just trust you with it. Lord, whatever that situation is, I, I pray that during the course of this morning, you would speak to those individuals. Maybe it's a word of provision, a word of guidance, a word of healing, a word of hope and encouragement. Lord, you know what they need. Each person in this room is your child and you love them and you have a desire for them and a will for them. And it is that they would know the victory that is theirs through Jesus Christ. Through his blood, there is no condemnation. Through his blood, there is nothing that can separate us from your love. You promise that you see where we are. That you care about our needs. You care about our losses. You care about what we're experiencing in a fallen world. And Father, as we exit this place of worship this morning and head back into that life, I pray we are filled with a faith that you are trustworthy, that you are good, and that you're working in our lives. And I pray that for each person in this room throughout this week, they'll see evidence of that. They'll see it. They'll see there. There you are, Lord. Thank you. This week, God, would you show them? I ask this all in the name of Jesus Christ. Amen. Amen. How much are we supposed to give to the church? Can you believe I just said that? I mean, that's just the no-no question, isn't it? That, that's, the matter of fact, that's why people don't go to church. That pastor, that church, they always are talking about money. They always want your money. Well, folks, I hope if you've been going here for any amount of time, you do recognize the fact I don't preach about money every Sunday. I, I, I don't do that. You know, Jesus said that the issue of money is a major heart issue. And I think to look at it once a year, which is about how often, usually we take a week or two, usually about this time of year, to look at this issue of money in our heart. I think to look at something that Jesus said is a major heart issue, once a year is not too much. Not too much to look at that. And we usually couple our look at our individual heart by looking at our annual budget. You're going to be getting a copy of that next week. And we look at these two things together because the budget is a representation of our heart. It flows out of the heart and the vision of this church family. So, you know, if you can for a moment get past this idea of that church and that pastor that always wants your money, 
If, if you can get past that for a moment and just be still and quiet where nobody's looking, nobody's listening, and maybe down deep, ask yourself the question, has God really communicated an amount that I should be giving him? Has God done that? You know, we've been inspired and encouraged this year with that theme to live like we were dying, to live each day in light of that appointment that we're going to have with God. Well, folks, if God has communicated an amount that we're supposed to give, don't you think it's going to come up at that appointment? Don't you think that's going to be dealt with at that appointment? And while it doesn't make the average pastor very popular to discuss issues of money, would I, let me put a little bit different twist on your pastor, maybe I get a little defensive here, wouldn't I be negligent if I didn't communicate what God says here? You understand that the role of a pastor is to prepare you for your appointment, to get you ready for that day that you're going to be with God. Now, folks, I don't think the only reason we give is to be ready for an appointment that we're going to have with God. I, I think there's a variety of reasons we'd want to know what God says on this issue. Number one, giving is a way to make my money last forever. Man, that, now that right there ought to capture our attention when our money seems more insecure and more temporary than ever before. So here's a way to do something that makes my money last forever. Giving is a way to communicate my faith and my obedience to the Lord. Of course, folks, to not give also communicates something, doesn't it? And that also send a message to the Lord. Giving Giving is a way to get God's blessing, and, and I like this word, his involvement. To get God's involvement in my finances. I, I can't think of a time, at least in my lifetime, maybe more than right now in our culture, that, man, I'd, if God gets involved in finances, I need his involvement. I need his help right now. I think another reason we want to know is simply because the Lord talks about it. Now, folks, if you... If you don't care what God says, you don't want your money to last forever, you're not, you're not interested in His involvement and blessing, you don't want to communicate faith and commitment to the Lord, then no, I guess there is no reason you'd want to know what God says about giving. But under the assumption that maybe you're a little bit interested in some of these things, we do want to understand what the Lord says. Folks, when we talk about giving, it's not about God getting something from you. Giving is about your heart. Giving is where you are with the Lord. You cannot separate faith and finances. It's impossible. And we see them intertwined all the way throughout Scripture. You know, an interesting story, illustration of that in Luke chapter 3. A crowd of people, a group of people, they come to John the Baptist and they say, John, what's it look like when, when somebody, really, God gets a hold of them? What does it look like when, when God's hand is on somebody's life? And you know what John the Baptist says? He says, well, I, you know what, I can think of a couple of things. One, they share what they have with the poor. They're, they're content with their wages. And they don't take advantage of people financially. Now, what do you notice about all three of John's answers? They all have to do with money. They all have to do with how we're using it, our attitude about it. They're intertwined. Our faith and our finances go hand in hand together. 
I, I mean, folks, there are obviously other reasons, other things that show God's hand, God's involvement in our life. But isn't it interesting that when John answers their question, their question wasn't a financial question, but all he answers with is financial answers. Why is that? Why is it that when if you took everything Jesus talked about, 15 percent of it is about money and possessions? Why is it discussed all the way through Scripture? The reason is, folks, is because money is one of the clearest indicators of where our heart is with the Lord. So how much? How much are we to give? The Bible uses a word. The word is tithe. That's a Hebrew word. When you say tithe, you're speaking Hebrew. Try it tomorrow. See if anybody at work notices. Hebrew word tithe. It means a tenth. Ten percent. Ten percent. And if you're struggling with that concept, it's going to get worse, folks. So I'm just going to warn you right now. Because really what the Bible teaches is not that ten percent is what we want to grow up to. Ten percent is what the super saint gives. The Bible communicates that ten percent is the starting point. It's the bare minimum. I'm going to show you that in just a moment. Now, some folks like to get out from under that 10% by saying, well, you know what? That was the Old Testament. That's under the Old Testament law and the, and the New Testament doesn't repeat that. Well, you know, I would respond to that a couple of ways. Last I checked, we looked at the Old Testament as the word of God. And you need to be careful about dismissing things out of the Old Testament because it is the heart and character of God every bit as much as the New Testament is. Another thing I would say is that actually the New Testament does repeat it. And I would also say I don't see anywhere in the New Testament where it lowers the bar. That because of Christ we now would do less. You know what did change from the old to the new? In the old, there was a little bit of a feeling, there was a little bit of a sense when you brought that tithe and a host of other offerings that went with that, it had a little bit of a feel of paying a bill. It had a little bit of a feel of almost like a tax. They actually had a temple tax. You had a tax on the firstborn. And so there was a sense of that giving to the Lord was much of like a, a bill. But in the New Testament, it does add a sense of freedom. It adds a sense of voluntariness so that that giving is being done by faith. That giving is being done to express love. And there are things that change from the old to the new. You know, in the old, we're, we're shown animal sacrifices, we're given dietary laws, we're, we're shown a variety of festivals. None of these things we do anymore. Those are, that use that phrase, under the law. But you know what? In all of those things, you can go to a verse in the New Testament that directly, specifically says, we don't do that anymore, and here's why. There's not a single verse like that about giving. Not a single verse that says, we don't tithe anymore, and Here's why. Now you say, does the New Testament actually call us to tithe? I believe it does. I want to show you that passage. Would you turn with me this morning to Matthew chapter 22? This is a passage I looked at last year. So this is really a summary. I, I don't do a whole lot of repetition of sermons. Every now and then I pick one out that I've done before. This one I felt like was appropriate for us right now. And I wanted to come back to it again. So for some it'll be new. I hope for some it sounds a little bit like a review. Matthew chapter 22. First book in the New Testament. By the way if you don't have a Bible with you. We've got some in the chairs in front of you. I hope you'll grab one and study along with us. Matthew 22. I'm going to begin reading in verse 15. 
says there, then the Pharisees went and they plotted how to trap him by what he said. They sent their disciples to him with the Herodians. Teacher, they said, we we know that you are truthful and teach truthfully the way of God. Now, they're blowing smoke there. They don't believe that at all about Jesus. You defer to no one for you don't show partiality. Verse 17. Tell us, therefore, what you think. Is it lawful to pay taxes to Caesar or not? But perceiving their malice, Jesus said, why are you testing me, you hypocrites? Show me the coin used for the tax. So they brought him a Daenerys. Whose image and inscription is this? He asked them. Caesar's, they said to him. Then he said to them, therefore, give back to Caesar the things that are Caesar's and to God the things that are God's. When they heard this, they were amazed. So they left him and went away. Now, this passage starts by introducing two groups of people to us, the Pharisees and Herodians. They have come together to trap Jesus. Now, the Pharisees and Herodians are not friends. As a matter of fact, they don't like each other at all. But they have a common enemy in the person of Jesus Christ. And so they come together and they come up with this question that we know is to trap him. They could care less what Jesus' answer is. Absolutely meaningless to them how he answers. But here's what they're trying to do. They're trying to build a following that will be against Christ. And you've got two very strong, distinct groups in Israel at this time. They're struggling with taxes. Some things never change, right? And so you've got a group of people over here who literally believe it's immoral to pay taxes. Man, we're God's people. And for us to be giving our money to a government that is doing evil with it, that's just wrong. So you, you've got a strong body of people. It is immoral to pay taxes. But then you've got another group of people that say, you know what, I'm kind of liking the way Romans are doing things. I, I like the peace they provide, the protection they give, the position they give us in society. And after all, it would be considered treason to not pay taxes. And there's a high cost for treason. And so they say, no, we should do that. So you've got pay them, don't pay them. No, that's the other way around. Don't pay them, pay them. Two groups of people. So you see, no matter how Jesus answers this question, he's going to make one of the groups mad, right? So once they figure out which group he makes mad, then the Pharisees and Herodians move into that group and they start stirring up. We've got to do something about this, Jesus. And so what does Jesus answer? Well, it's a pretty famous answer. As a matter of fact, it's somewhat of a cliche. You can even hear this in culture today. It says here, give. We may know it as the old King James. Render unto Caesar that which is Caesar's. Give to the government what belongs to the government. And, and he uses a coin. He says, whose picture's on this? What he's referring to here is the authority of government. We would go to other passages in the Bible and even refer to the God-given authority of the government. And if you're under any government, more than likely somewhere along the way, you're not going to like what that government is doing. Maybe even for you, it is a moral issue. Well, I would go to other passages that say you obey the government and rest assured God will hold that government accountable for everything that they are doing. And so he says, give to the government, pay those taxes, give to the government what belongs to the government. A lot of times in that study, we stop right there. As a matter of fact, some Bibles put titles above the paragraphs. The, the, the titles didn't come from those writers. We add those in. And, and some of you, I bet if you look in your Bible, maybe even above verse 15, the title here will be paying taxes. Well, that certainly is what this is about. But that's not all that Jesus answered, is it? 
No, he goes on and he gives a a bigger answer than what they asked for. He said, you give to the government, give to Caesar what belongs to Caesar, give to God what belongs to God. And folks, we'll do a little grammar lesson here. There's one verb, give. And then there's two phrases that go with that one verb. Give to the government what belongs to the government. Give to God what belongs to God. They're parallel. In other words, as it's written, these two things are meant to look exactly the same. Let me ask you a question. Who determines what you give to the government? You or the government? Yeah, I would not try determining on their behalf what you should give them. It doesn't usually go very well. No, the government. Well, guess what? If this is a parallel structure, who determines what we give to God? Us or God? God. Now, it says here, give to God what belongs to God. Doesn't that beg the question, what belongs to God? It begs the question for you and me. It doesn't beg the question for the audience that day. The answer to that question is found in the context of the speaker and it's found in the context of the audience listening. Jesus was, I hope this is not a shock to anybody, Jesus was Jewish. He was trained and educated in the Old Testament Scriptures. We might take it a step further and say he spoke the Old Testament Scriptures. His audience was Jewish. They were trained and educated in the Old Testament Scriptures. So when Jesus said, give to God what belongs to God, they weren't going, gosh, I wonder what he means by that. Wonder wonder what belongs to God. No, this was absolutely a common body of knowledge. It was a common answer. They knew exactly what Jesus was referring to. He was referring to the tithe. You give the tithe. And notice that word, what belongs or what is God's. You know, it's interesting, folks. We may hold it in our hands. That doesn't make it ours. Maybe in my wallet, maybe in your purse, that doesn't make it mine. It belongs to God. Now, if I have something that's yours and I'm holding on to it and I'm not giving it back, what does that make me? A thief. Now, folks, we're right here at the opening of the New Testament. It's been about 400 years since the closing of the Old Testament. And what's interesting is right here at the opening, we have this discussion of giving the tithe that belongs to God and even the idea of robbing. Are those two things found together? You know, it's interesting at the very last time that God spoke in the Old Testament, this very issue is addressed. Let me show you. Flip back just one book. You're in Matthew. Go to the last book in the Old Testament, Malachi. Go back a few pages to Malachi chapter 3, verse 7. Malachi chapter 3, verse 7. Okay, if you're still flipping, you had to have passed it up. (laughs) Malachi chapter 3, unless you got like maps in the middle, your map should be at the end. That's where God wanted them. See, (laughs) right there at the end. Malachi chapter 3, verse 7. Since the days of your fathers, you have turned from my statutes. You've not kept them. Return to me and I will return to you, says the Lord of hosts. But you ask, how can we return? Will a man rob God? Yet you are robbing me. You ask, how do we rob you? By not making payments of 10%. Your passage may say the tithe. By not making payments of the tithe. And look at this next word. And contributions. 
You see, there was actually gifts expected above and beyond the tithe. The tithe was the starting point. And the, the tithe was used to run, and I'm going to finish this verse in just a second, but the tithe was used to run the storehouse, the general keeping of the temple. I tell you, the model and example that I've always followed in, in our marriage and in, in our financial life, Karen and I. And folks, I want to share something with you. And what I'm about to say could come across as arrogant or bragging or bold. And please trust me, that's not the spirit I'm trying to share it in. Like an, a biblical model in both the old and new, I'm trying to share it in the spirit of a leader who's modeling and, and, and giving an example of what can be done. Karen and I have always given 10% of our gross income to the general budget of the church. You say the gross income? But, but you only get the net. You don't, no. The government does not get their first shot at what I make. God gets the first shot at what I make. The whole 10% belongs to Him. And, and then whenever we've done anything, and we've almost always done things beyond that. As a matter of fact, a moment ago I talked about uh, giving for the, um, the youth mission trip. Karen and I will do that, and we will do that above and beyond our tithe. I don't cut my tithe in half that day. I make that a, a contribution above and beyond. Of course, the last three years, we've been coming through our building campaign. And, and we made a commitment to that. And over the last three years, we've given a little bit over 20% of our total income to this church. I don't hope to do that this year. I'm hoping to bring that back a little bit. We fulfilled our campaign. I want to come back a little bit. But that's the commitment we made. The general budget continued to receive our tithe and then anything else we do above and beyond that. Karen and I do a variety of things outside of the church. Ministries that are important to us. Ministries that bless us. Ministries that feed us. We make contributions. We give offerings above and beyond the general tithe to that. My goal today is not that you be thinking about numbers beyond the 10, but it's to see that the 10 is a beginning point. It's a starting point. Let me finish this verse. By not making payments of 10% in the contributions, you are suffering under a curse, yet you, the whole nation, are still robbing me. Bring the full 10%. Your translation may say, bring the whole tithe, not a portion of it, Bring the whole tithe. I get the question a lot. Well, if you're not used to doing this, can you start with less amount? Well, folks, you know what? I would say, yeah. Anything you do is better than nothing. But folks, I'm not the one you're going to stand before. God pretty clearly here says, bring the whole tithe. Bring the full 10% into the storehouse so that there may be food in my house. Test me in this way, says the Lord of hosts. See if I will not open the floodgates of heaven and pour out a blessing for you without measure. Folks, as I look at this passage, it's pretty clear that, that Malachi has just a couple of, of quick thoughts. One, we are clearly directed to give 10%. To not give, to not give is called robbing him. To not give is called robbing him. Again, folks, think about yourself. Think about everything we've been talking about in January about, you know, living like we were dying. Do you want to go before God knowing he's already said, you're robbing me, you're robbing me. And then as God concludes this, he, he actually says, you know what? The nation's under a curse. I've prospered. I've blessed. Folks, I wonder, 
Now, now, again, when we're talking about Israel, you're talking about an entire nation that is God's people. The United States is not a a nation of God in, in the sense that the entire United States is the people of God. But has God blessed us abundantly? I heard pray just a moment ago to whom much is given, much is expected. We have been given much. Have we honored God with the prosperity of this nation? Have we honored him with how he has blessed us? Have the people of God, have the church, have we honored him? God's not talking about pagans here when he says. You're under a curse. There seems to be clear that there is a curse that can come into our lives. There is a blessing that comes into our lives. And and again, folks, once again, we're talking about people returning to God. And again, again, we see that tied to the financial world, just like John the Baptist was talking about. Here's a second chance where somebody's returning to God. Somebody's talking about getting right with God. And there's this financial statement in the middle of it. And then God does something very unique here. He says, test me. You know why that's unique? Because all through the rest of Scripture, God says it's a sin to test him. It's a sin to put God to the test. But in this one spot in the entire Bible, he says, I want you to test me. I want you. Listen to me. I want you to find out that I'm as trustworthy as your money. I want you to find out that I can take care of you better than you think that money can. So, folks, if we can get past this idea that that money is just about that church and that pastor up there that that wants your money and folks, let me let's just put it on the table. There are some greedy pastors. There are some churches who make a mess out of business, who don't do a good thing with the money. And you sit back and you think, man, I don't know what these people are doing with money. I don't think I can trust what they do with the money. Folks, listen to me. If you're in a church, including this one. If you're in a church where you think the pastor's greedy, if you're in a church where you don't trust what they're doing with the money, can't see what they're doing with the money, find a church where you can. If you cannot in good conscience give, then leave. Because my friend, hear this as a pastor who loves you, you have an appointment with God. And when this issue comes up, you're not going to get to say, I didn't trust the pastor and I didn't like what the church was doing with it. You know what God will say? You know what? I agree with you. And I'll take care of them when they get up here next in line. But right now we're talking about you. Why didn't you do what I said to do? So get in a church. If it's not this one, find it in a church where you can do this. Now you say, gosh, pastor, come on. Right now? Right now you talk about giving? I mean... Folks, we're living in about as scary as a financial environment as I guess most of us really remember. I'm sure a pretty good group in here remembers the 70s, inflation and and the gas prices. And I was a I didn't own a home in the 70s. But, uh, uh, you know, I think back then, gosh, you thought you had a pretty good deal if you had a 17, 18 percent mortgage loan. And that, that was considered pretty good back then. And those were tough times. Probably a few people in here have a little bit of a tie to the Great Depression born in it came up in it as a child remember your parents talking about it but for most of us where we are right now this is about the scariest thing we've seen and so you're saying now now's when you talk about that how do you expect me to do that folks i don't expect you to do anything but could i give you a couple of thoughts on how you think through maybe in scary financial times a couple of thoughts about how you take on the concept of giving You know, folks, if you study people, now this is not a biblical point I'm about to make. When you study people, 
giving is rarely an issue of abundance. I mean, any kind of study from Christian to secular that you've done where you study people, they're not giving because they just have a big stinking wad of cash they don't know what to do with. I'll just throw it away. I'll just give it. That's usually not what giving is about. You know, a second thing I would ask you to think about, folks, is now, maybe more than ever before, we want to be thinking about how do I get God involved? How do I get God's blessing in what I'm doing and what's happening in my finances? Now's not a time to say, Lord, I want to keep you out. I want to keep you distant for a little bit longer as I try to work through this. No, now's what God, I need you all over my finances. And here, folks, listen to this. You don't give what you don't have. Aren't you, God, aren't you grateful God didn't say, he said 10%, not $10,000? Everybody owes me $10,000. Well, that wouldn't be fair, would it? And, and what would happen when things change in your life? But it's a percentage. Guess what? If you get a pay cut, then what you give goes down. If you get laid off, guess how much you give? Nothing. 10% of nothing is Nothing. I get that question probably as much as any on this. What if what if my finances change? I, I've made this commitment to the Lord. I'm trying to do this. What if my finances change? Folks, God doesn't expect you to give what you don't have. You give in light of what's been given. You give in light of what has been provided. Folks, do you want God's involvement and blessing in what you're doing? You know, you go through Scripture and you certainly see the example of people giving in both famine and in poverty. As a matter of fact, the Scripture highlights one group of people. They're the Macedonians. And Paul's blown away by how much these people are. They're not living from meal to meal. They're just getting a meal. That's it. They don't know if they'll ever come one again. And they collect up this offering and Paul's blown away by how much they take up. And he says, you know why they did it? They'd already given all of themselves to God. Folks, we get caught up in 10%. You really don't want to know what Jesus applauds throughout Scripture. I mean, he applauds a widow who gives 100%. Zacchaeus who gives 50%. He asks another 100% from the rich young ruler. 10% sounds pretty good, isn't it? Folks, it's not about 10% or any other percentage. He wants everything. Say, gosh, and God wants a lot. Let me ask you a question. Who anteed up first? Who gave 100% first? See, Jesus established what this relationship is going to look like. It's kind of like a marriage. It only works when everybody's sacrificing 100% of themselves. Nobody's in there for themselves. They're in there to give 100% of themselves. Folks, there are some wonderful things that, that happen in our lives through giving. You know, through my giving, I get, my money gets to last forever. I believe that. I told you that last week. I have no idea what that means. I have no idea what I'm going to do with money in heaven. But Jesus said I ought to send some there. I trust them. I'm going to take them at face value. I'm going to find out when I get there what's going to be done with it. But I get to my money gets to last forever through through my giving. I get God's involvement in what I'm doing in my finances and what's happening in my life. But folks, I tell you one of the favorite things I like about giving is I get some buy in. I get to be a part of what God 
is doing. I get to say, man, I, I was a part of that. You know, giving for me is about God. But when God collects those resources, he makes it about people. Like I said, last week, next week, we're going to we're going to show you the budget. You're going to get it handed out uh, when you leave next week. And we tend to look at a budget. Think, oh, budget's about paying the light bill. It's about paying the mortgage. It's about paying for literature. That's not what a budget's about. A budget is about people. Folks, I, wanna, I want us just to take a second and just kind of get that interface. I want to show you what, what last year's budget did just in terms of reaching new people. Not, not in terms of ministering to all of us that have, many of us have been here for more than a year or, or many years, but I want to show you just what last year's budget did in reaching new people. Not all the new people, but just some faces. And when I see these faces, it reminds me, man, whatever God is doing there, I got to be a part of that by investing in what God is doing in his kingdom work. Turn your attention to the screen and watch this. Did you get to be a part in what God was doing in all those lives? Just through your giving. You know what, I can have good days and I can have bad days. I can be really living close to the Lord and doing everything he wants. And you know what, sometimes I'm not living so close. And I'm doing very little of what he wants. But through my giving, I get to be a part of everything he's doing there. Did you? Let's pray. Father, we are sorry that we have not always honored you and exalted you with the resources that you've provided. We've acted like it was ours. We, we completely miss Jesus saying it belongs to God. We've acted like it was ours to do with as we please. Lord, we're sorry that we tend to think, boy, a little bit more money would sure make things better. And how rarely we think, boy, a little bit more of my walk with the Lord would sure make things better. Lord, we're sorry for that battle that wages inside of us to look to money as God. We may not think of ourselves as idol worshipers. We don't necessarily bow down to it and pray to it. But the way we look to it, our priority of it, the way we treat it, it's no differently than how you would serve a God. We're sorry for those things, Lord. I think if we're honest with ourselves and we look in our lives, it's no wonder that Scripture weaves faith and finances from Genesis all the way through to Revelation. It's no wonder that Jesus talks about it so much. God, may we be a people who honor and exalt you with our resources. May we be a people who give to God what belongs to God. And Lord, I do pray that we enjoy your involvement and your blessing, your guidance, your provision in our finances. May we discover the joy of trusting in you and not money. We need your help here, Lord. This is a, a battle most of us wage. We need your help. 
It's in the name of Jesus Christ that we pray this. Amen.